everybody. Tyler Smith here. More than one lesson, mini so number 41. Wanted to say thank you to Robert Hornack for filling in for Josh last week. Here's the thing. I'm assuming that happened. Uh, right now, that's the plan, but we're recording this before before that happened. So hopefully everything worked out. But if it did, thanks to Robert for being on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, and we do not have a great deal of time, so we're just going to jump into it. I'm going to welcome my co-host, Josh Long. And Josh. Hi, everyone. How you doing? Doing all right. All right. Now, as of right now, where are you? You're not in Los Angeles. We're recording this in Los Angeles, but by the time this airs, you are oh, elsewhere. While people are listening to this, I'm probably in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Hilton Head, South Carolina. So if you want to, so listeners, if you live in South Carolina and you want to arrange some kind of meetup, email, you know, send a, send a message to Josh on Twitter. There you go. And say, hey, it's time for a more than one lesson meetup. He would love to meet you. His family would, they so badly want to see, what are you doing out in Los Angeles? They see you, a fan of more than one lesson, deeply affected by our, by, by our weekly Christian vulnerability and movie talk. Of course. And suddenly Josh's family would be like, wow, we thought you were wasting your life on yeah. this, on filmmaking, and but by embracing podcasting, <laughs> finally, you've... <laughs> and they'll be like, come join our family. And absolutely. We were on the fence for the last 30 years, right. uh, but now you've proved yourself to us. And if you want to join me for a game of Ultimate Frisbee, that's uh, that's the place to do it next week. Absolutely. And you might win because Josh is still a little hobbled and his thumb still hurts. Yeah. So uh, aim for the thumb is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, okay, that was dumb. I'm sorry. We've got to move on. Uh, as far as announcements, um, I guess this is two weeks later. So I will say if you have not joined the Facebook not group. If you haven't liked us on Facebook, gone to our Facebook page yet, please do so. Uh that Facebook group is going to be closed down very, very soon. Uh, and also, as I mentioned uh, recently, Josh and I will be going to Comic-Con, and that is pricey. And so we would like to take as much out of that as possible uh, money-wise. So if you, if you could donate, anything would be great. Two bucks, five bucks, ten. Hey, a hundred. Who's to say? Uh, it would all be very useful. So we appreciate, and we appreciate everybody that has donated to us uh, already. All right. I introduced you already, right? Yeah, we yeah. I'm here. How you're not here? Oh yeah. All right. So okay. Continuing with our Best of Pictures series, we are jumping into the year 2003, in which Best Picture was the most foregone of conclusions. Uh, the winner for the year 2003, was The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. I don't like that that kind of rhymes. Uh, directed by Peter Jackson, written by Jackson, Philippa Boyens, and Fran Walsh, and of course based on the book by J.R.R. Tolkien. That second R bothers me. I don't like saying it. I want to say J.R. Tolkien. He's got too many names, really. That's true. Although maybe people would have thought it was Junior Tolkien if he didn't have the uh, extra R. And admittedly, J.R. does sound like he's from Texas. Yeah. Dallas, well, specifically. Um, <laughs> That's not his fault, though. No, I guess not. That's Larry Hackman's fault. What isn't these days? Did you ever see Primary Colors? Nope. It's a very good movie, and Larry Hagman is in it, and he's really good. He yeah. plays a, a, a Democratic uh, senator or congressman. I don't remember exactly, but he's a presidential candidate. He's very good. And he's got crazy eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, he got the crazy eyebrows when he got older. I always liked him on A Dream of Genie. That's where I know him from. Of course it is. That's where the world knows him from. And you uh, know of course it is. I think the world probably knows him from Dallas. Mm, 
Someone shot him, apparently. But <laughs> right. who? Who shot him? I think they actually specified who, but I don't, I don't remember. It ended up being Maggie Simpson, didn't That's it? That's the one. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, it was actually everybody on that train. That is a spoiler for a movie, and if I say what movie it is, then you will be like, oh, why did Tyler spoil that for me? Oh. I'll tell you off air. Next time you see a train movie, now you're going to look at me. 310 to Yuma. That's the one. <laughs> And everybody on the train is responsible for a murder. Okay. Uh, okay, so we've gotten silly. I apologize. Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. When I say it's a foregone conclusion, it's because in 2001, Fellowship of the Ring was nominated. 2002, The Two Towers is nominated. And then 2003, Return of the King. And those didn't win. Those won some technical awards. Mm-hmm. And it became very clear to everybody that, all right, the Academy is saving up. Yeah. The award for Return of the King, though it is very good. I think my favorite, I really like the second one, but mostly for thematic reasons. I think most people acknowledge, including Viggo Mortensen himself, who recently uh, spoke publicly about uh, things he didn't like about the original Lord of the Rings films, um, saying that Peter Jackson sacrificed a character for CGI. Really? Which, yeah. And, well, yeah, in, in the third movie, I think I kind of agree, actually. Oh, absolutely. And even in the second one a little bit. But yeah. in the first one, it's much smaller scale. And that's, so, that's my favorite one, unquestionably. There's there's a lot of stuff I really like in, in the second one. But um, but there's stuff, I, there's stuff I love in all three. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. They're movies that I return to uh, many times. And at some point, listeners, we are going to devote a whole episode to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So we're not going to talk a whole lot about the overall trilogy here. But um, but it became clear that they were going to award the third one almost regardless of how good or bad it was going to be. <laughs> they were going to treat that as this is how we're going to honor the whole trilogy. I wonder what would have happened if that film had come out and it had just been awful. Like Wouldn't that have been interesting? Somehow that one had just been terrible and they were like, what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> we if we'd can't... known this was going to peak at the first one, we would have d- done that. I know. Um but yeah, and so uh, the uh, peek behind the curtain, every time we do a uh, mini-sode, uh, a, a Best of Pictures mini-sode, I will include uh, the various awards, that a f- the various Oscars that a film was nominated for and the ones that it won. Did you put uh, all of them on this one? All- well, here's the thing. With Lord of the Rings, I didn't have to separate them because everything it was nominated for, it won. Oh. Um, so it won. Best Picture, Director, Adapted Screenplay, Editing, Art Direction, Costume Design, Makeup, Original Score. I literally have to take a breath. <laughs> original Song, Sound Mixing, and Visual Effects. They And so that's the thing. Even though they gave technical awards to the previous films and had no problems doing that, mm-hmm. they wanted to give this movie everything. Everything, just in the kitchen sink. Yeah, and and I'm okay with it. It's big. It's epic. It ha- It still has some nice character moments. It still has moments of suspense. Yeah. Giant spider. Terrifying. Nothing like a giant spider. Nothing like it, except uh, death itself. <laughs> um, Which is very similar. So, uh, so yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of spoiling it a little bit, but we, I don't want this episode to be super long. In fact, I'll probably, I'm fine with keeping it shorter than usual. Um, yeah, I'm fine with it winning. Um, as because of what it represented, which is the whole trilogy, yeah. and then the film itself. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the more interesting things about it is I think it brought a lot of things to the way that 
like, I feel like it affected the Hollywood blockbuster mm. as an institution. Um, it kind of, it sort of started this recent trend, maybe the trend at all of releasing, like shooting all movies at one time and then releasing them yeah. uh, close together like this. Cause imagine if they, imagine how far apart they would have been because they were such a huge undertaking. Yeah. If you had done one, then see how it does, then start gearing up for the other one. It'd be like five years in between those movies. So I think that was a smart decision. And now that's become a thing that, that people like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it uh, it didn't it didn't start this, but it was one of those blockbusters that started coming out around Christmas time. One of yeah. those that's kind of like instead of the summer blockbuster, it was still the same kind of scope and trying to entertain people on the same level as the blockbuster as your, your general summer blockbuster. But um, I don't know, it had a little bit more of a weight to it, maybe a little bit more thematic depth to it than, say, a Transformers movie or well, something. Well, doesn't it just feel like it should be released in the autumn or winter? Yeah, it does. I mean, when I think of when I think of a summer blockbuster, I think I almost think of a movie that take pl- takes place during the summer. <laughs> I think of sun, I think of heat, I think of all these. Whereas when I think of Lord of the Rings and fantasy films that take place in the, you know in the woods and then castles and in the dark, it just somehow walking, seeing the movie and then walking out into 95 degree heat <laughs> somehow just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, and maybe it was the fact that nobody, even though they had agreed to make all three films, nobody really knew how that first one fellowship was going to do financially. So I think having it be a big summer tent pole, was a bit riskier than mm-hmm. if they released it around Christmas time and there yeah. wasn't as much competition and, and all that sort of thing. And so, um, so yeah, but it's, yes, it is one of the first films to do that, that between that and then the, uh, Harry Potter movies coming out usually mm-hmm. not always, but usually in, uh, the fall. Yeah. Um, and of course those have, well, those have giant spiders among other things and castles and woods and all that sort of thing. And fantasy, mm-hmm. um, fantasy does just seem like, an autumnal or it's winter or wintry for some reason. Yeah. I guess that um, makes sense. But, uh, but yeah, so, and I'll say this, this is what happens every time. Literally, if I talk about Lord of the Rings for, I'm going to say five minutes. And so far we've been talking about it for about five minutes. I'm going to want to watch all three. It's what happens. I think of the music. Mm. I think of, Admittedly, I probably don't think about the characters as much as I should. Hmm. Um, but I think of the world, and it's a world I want to go into. Yeah. that's And I think that is a good – that is, I think, one of the most important hallmarks of a good sci-fi or fantasy film is creating a world that you want to be a part of. I think mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons that – like, I never read any of the Harry Potter movies – um, I have very little attachment to that, but even watching the first movie, which most people acknowledge is not even one of the best ones, yeah. you you get that sense of the world, and there is something fun about it. There is something yeah. uh, um, engaging, something that draws you in about it, even for me as someone who has no previous connection with it, and I'm not even the target audience. Yeah, and it's and I'll say this. I did go to that world mm-hmm. a couple years ago. I went to um, New Zealand. And we took a took a little tour of some shooting locations for Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and it is kind of neat to see certain things because out in the woods, sometimes they would add 
a prop tree that looked a little bit more gnarled and more interesting. But for the most part, like there's a scene in Fellowship of the Rings where the four hobbits are huddled kind of in this hole in the roots of a tree so that uh, one of the, um, I was going to say Death Eaters, that's Harry Potter. <laughs> the ring um, wraiths, right? One of the ring wraiths like doesn't see them. And that little hole actually exists. And <laughs> so we were able to see it. And, and I know it sounds weird, but to realize, wow, this is... This is where it is. And then, of course, we went to Hobbiton, where the little hobbit holes and the cute doors and stuff and the miniature uh, farming tools and such and the green dragon, the bar, um, they're all still there. Um, And to step into that even for a moment was pretty amazing. And so uh, and so Lord of the Rings, maybe more so than most movies I know does such a great job of blending practical effects with CGI and creating a world that feels 100% lived in. That's the thing. You and I talk uh, from time to time about the Star Wars prequels. Mm-hmm. Well, and in the in the original films, almost everything was practical as far as the world itself. Right. Where, where characters were interacting with one another. Yeah. Um, and so it was a world I wanted to be a part of, but it also seemed like a very feasible world. One that I already kind of lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, when the, then with the prequels, they went too far the other way and everything was CGI. And then it seemed like a world that wasn't feasible right. and was so far away that I'm like, I don't want to live there. It, it appears to be emotionless. <laughs> um, whereas this was a perfect blend of the two. And that has to do with Peter the, the vision of Peter Jackson recognizing uh beauty when he sees it recognizing that there are fantastical elements in the everyday world that you can incorporate you don't have to go cgi with everything mm-hmm. um we're talking about the trilogy in general which i guess seems somewhat appropriate given that that's why they the yeah. academy gave return of the king best picture but uh but maybe we should specify uh, talk a bit a bit more about this one so the big things that i think of when i think of return of the king i do tend to think of set pieces I don't think so much about character. I think about character in the first one. Mm-hmm. I think about thematic stuff in the second one. And then I think of set pieces and um, wrapping things up when it comes to the third one. Yeah. So I think of the Shelob, the spider sequence. Mm-hmm. I think of the ghost army sequence. Mm-hmm. There is a character I do think of. His name is Denethor. He's played by John Noble from Fringe. Oh, yeah. And he's great. I love the way he plays that character. Um, as he's basically a villain, but he's just so tragic and so sad and all. Yeah. Uh, and then what I do think and what a lot of people think of, I don't have a problem with it, but a lot of people do is the multiple endings, (laughs) the 10 endings. I knew you were going to say that now. I don't know if it's 10. I'm just, it's a bunch. I'll say that. Uh, and I remember when I saw it in the theater, every time here's one ending fade out, fade back in. We're not done. (laughs) Uh, and that, and after the third or fourth time that happened, people started kind of chuckling every time it faded back. Yeah. And so, and this, these were people that were on board with what was happening, but somehow it just felt strange to end it the way they did. I, I don't know that it's necessarily the best choice the way that he did it. I, I feel like, I don't know what the right, right choice is. So I can't really fault him so much, him being Peter Jackson, but I, I think, where that comes from, that weird ending thing, is the way that the book ends doesn't end on the same kind of narrative peak that a movie generally would end on. Right. Which tends to be the case with literature versus movies a lot. 
Um, so it's not that un- it's not that unusual, but because it's a film that is pretty loyal to the books, mm-hmm. um, I feel like the f- the filmmaker feels beholden to include a lot of these things in the ending, mm-hmm. um, and some of them are just not as big and thematically they can be big. And so maybe it works more in the book, but like stuff going back to, to Hobbiton, like after, after being at Mount doom, this huge terrifying thing. And after these huge battles are taking place, going back to that is a step down dramatically. Right. Although I do, I I respect it. I still respect that he did it. Um, especially, do you remember what the actual, what the final ending is? It's them going off in the boat. Ah, no. All right. That is the second to last. <laughs> the last one is Sam returning home. That's and right. And going that's into, right. His, into his house, the door shutting, fade out. Yeah. And I kind of love that. Yeah. I kind of love this idea that, yes, there was spectacle and majesty, but in the end, it boiled down to just regular people choosing to do something. Yeah. But they're going back and they're still just regular people. I do kind of love that. Yeah. Well, and I think potentially, again, I don't know what the way would be, but I think potentially there could have been a way to still end on that note and not have the 10 endings or whatever. Probably. Yes, I agree. Um, cause I do like that. I do like that. End. And the thing is there's, they're all good endings, but there's 10 of them. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, and I'll say I, uh, I've done this once. I would like to do it again. You and I and a bunch of other people talked about doing this years ago, but we still haven't done it. And I think we should do it. I don't is, know if I can do it. It's fun. It's so say. much fun. It's too much. Um, so with, uh, my co-host David and our former roommate Cole back in Chicago, I believe it was the day before we, we moved out. Um, we started at noon and we watched all three extended editions of Lord of the Rings. Oddly enough, simultaneously. That's a joke. We did it concurrent. <laughs> uh, concurrently? No. No. What's, um, the, what's the other one? Uh, consecutively. Consecutively. Thank you. Um, got my legal terms mixed up. <laughs> and, so, um, and so we started at noon. We took a half hour break in between each one so that we could eat and that sort of thing. And then we ended at 1 a.m. Now, what I'll say is it was... Wonderful. I know it sounds taxing and tiresome. If you take a break, it's fine. Um, but when you actually watch it like that, you do see that this is all one story, and you're able to appreciate that they shot it all in one, not one sitting. You know, I mean, it took about a year, but they shot it all at once, not over the course of several years. And when you watch it all as one thing, you really appreciate that they did that. But then also the multiple endings are more digestible because we've already spent – you'd think the opposite, that, well, we've already spent 12 hours watching this thing. Um, so let's just end it. But it's more – yeah, we just went through an epic journey, an epic quest. It seems right that we should that we should not end it abruptly, that we should end it bit by bit and then just fade out on a very, on a very gentle, quiet shot. Um, that, so the, the multiple endings, it, he seemed to be shooting them in terms of all three films, ending the whole story, not merely ending the third film. But of course, anybody who just watches the third film will think, okay, we've been here for a while. This seems like an odd way to end this, mm. especially when you consider 
that the previous two films, by their very nature, end abruptly. Yeah. <laughs> with um, a cliffhanger, sort of. Yeah. And so, uh, so I'm okay with it. Uh, and I will mention real quick, uh, and I think maybe this is the note we'll go out on. Um, the other thing that I mentioned, I mentioned set pieces in this film. The big thing that I do think of is, first off, the uh, the spotlight being shown very firmly on Sean Astin and the character of Sam. And the reason for that is because we do see, uh, you know, in the first film, it's called The Fellowship of the Ring. You have people sticking together and all of that. And you get that. And then at the end of that film, the fellowship is fractured and that sort of thing. But uh, in that last film, you do see Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas sticking together. You see Merry and Pippin sticking together. But most specifically, you see Frodo and Sam sticking together. And even more specifically than that, you see Sam sticking by Frodo. There's a line that I love where he's, where he's talking about the ring and he says, maybe I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Mm. And boy, oh boy, I, like, I've got goosebumps now, not just because my air conditioning is running pretty <laughs> strong and it's kind of chilly in here. But um, that to me is, the, is like the essence of what friendship is supposed to be. Yes, you can't – sometimes you literally cannot carry your friend's burdens, but you can do – everything you can to carry them through what it is they're they're dealing with and Mm -hmm. i love that and i feel like that was a nice return i feel like as much as i like the the second film which again i like primarily for thematic reasons um the first one is very much about people coming together to you know for a common goal the second one loses that a little bit third one brings that very firmly back and by focusing on this relationship between between two friends specifically i think um i think it winds up underlining what the whole trilogy is about among other things and so um so i i really responded to that i remember a lot of people including me thought that uh sean astin should have been nominated for supporting actor it was a pretty crowded field that year but i remember thinking that he really you know (laughs) <laughs> not only does he carry Frodo, he also kind of carries the film from mm-hmm. a, an emotional standpoint. Um, so, all right. So we've already said that we're okay with this winning best picture for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but real quick, let's look at some of the other uh, nominees. There was Lost in Translation, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, Mystic River, and Sea Biscuit. Biscuit. Obviously, you can throw Sea Biscuit out. The fact that I couldn't even get through saying it should say something. <laughs> Mystic River is an actor's film and a screenwriter's film. Clint Eastwood directed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's done with that stripped down style that we talked about with million dollar baby. Uh, but it's not that great of a movie, uh, strictly speaking. It's, I mean, it's based on a, on a crime novel and it's kind of a whodunit and it went, manages to be that and much more. Yeah. Um, so I respect it a lot. Um, and I think I'm fine with it being up for, for picture. Why not? Yeah. I think it's a prestigious crime drama. That's, That's the way I think of it. I I don't care if I don't see it again. Yeah, it's it bears a couple of viewings, but it's interesting. Each each time you see it, it's not one of those things where oh, I notice something different. You don't notice something different, but you do notice different things that that the actors are doing. Mm. Um, oddly enough, it's not Sean Penn or Tim Robbins that I come away thinking about that movie. Thinking, uh, I can't even. Okay, I'm too tired to think of. Come uh, away from that movie thinking about. Thank you. There you go. Um, see, that's why I've got a co-host. <laughs> uh, 
it's Kevin Bacon, oddly enough, because mm. his is the less showy performance, and he is not unlike the Morgan Freeman character. He's the observer. Mm-hmm. Now, he is actively involved because he's a cop, but he's also the one standing outside and watching yeah. everything that's been happening. But anyway, that's Mystic River. Um, so, okay, so those two are one thing. Lost in Translation is a wonderful, marvelous film. Obviously, it's not Best Picture. It's not... I'm I, I'm thrilled that it was that it was nominated. Yeah, I think I was excited about that too. That's I probably feel the same way the filmmakers felt. Like, oh sure, can you believe it? And um, of course, they threw it the best original screenplay bone and as, said, as "Be happy with that." And that that I think is that might be my favorite movie this year. Anyway, of this list, I don't I can't think of anything else that came out this year that I really loved. But I did like Lost in Translation a lot. Um, yeah, I think it's a marvelous film. Uh, it's not. Okay, I, I I don't mean to say it's not best picture material, as though I'm folding my arms and looking at it and being like, "Well, you're you not don't really belong in, yeah. here." I mean, as far as what the Academy thinks, um, I found Lost in Translation more affecting and more effective than Return of the King. But you know, so if we're thinking in terms of okay, well, what is a best picture? Now we get to Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, a film that when I saw it, I thought it was fine, didn't love it. Since then, I have fallen so deeply in love with this film. It's directed by Peter Weir, a director that I think is uh, overlooked a lot of the time when people talk about the great directors. Um, And it's shot beautifully. The art direction is wonderful. It's wonderfully written. There's a sense of place and time. Uh, there's a sense of camaraderie. It's It's got all of these things, and it's something that I didn't quite understand when I first saw it. But now that I've revisited it m- multiple times, it's a film that I think is maybe perfect. Um so if any of these films was, from a be- from the, the Academy standpoint of Best Picture, going to give Lord of the Rings a run for its money, it, it would be Master and Commander. It didn't make a lot of money. Um, mm. And so, frankly, I'm just thrilled that it showed up nominated at all. I think it, it was nominated for multiple other technical awards, mm-hmm. of course. Um, was Russell Crowe up for that one? He was not. Hmm. Which is unfortunate, because I think he should have been. That's um, surprising. But, uh, but yeah, so... Um, so let's real quick talk about some of the other movies uh, that came out that year mm. that were really great. Uh, the Fog of War is a documentary that I think is amazing, and it won Best Documentary that year. Capturing the Freedmans is another documentary. It's a good year for documentaries. I've seen The Fog of War. I haven't seen Capturing the Freedmans. Oh, my gosh. I... Everybody needs to see it, and I think you would love it. It's it's everything that sur- – oh, I can't speak well enough of that mm. film because there's just – it's so intangible. There's a mystery to it, and you're not – and it, it plays with the idea that the truth is more complex than anybody can ever I'm, hope to grasp. I'm sure I would like it. I, I find it harder to get the motivation to watch documentaries most of the time. And usually when it's a good one, I, I love it. But I, I find it harder to get myself up to watch one. Fair enough. Uh, I'm a big fan of American Splendor. I think I enjoy that's a American wonderful Splendor. film. Yeah. I believe for a while that was my favorite movie of that year. But yeah, I think it's been that. replaced by either Lost in Translation or The Fog of War. Mm-hmm. Um, Finding Nemo. I'm a big fan of Finding Nemo. I think that's a wonderful film. Again, mm-hmm. I said this with The Incredibles with 2004. If this were – if they treat a best picture like they do now, I feel like Finding Nemo would have been in there and would have been Maybe. in – would have been right to be so. I mean it's – speaking of creating a world – I feel like Finding Nemo creates this undersea world that I feel like is very tangible and that I can that we can live in. Uh, and then there are a lot of other movies that I re- – 2003 was a 
a good year for movies I really liked and really enjoyed. That was 28 Days Later. That was X-Men 2. That was Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 1, which I actually didn't love that much at the time. Uh, Shattered Glass, The Station Agent, Triplets of Belleville. Like, there was just a lot of uh, – A Mighty Wind oh, yeah. was that year. Uh, and so 2003 was actually a pretty good movie year in general. Um, but when it came to Best Picture, there was only ever one that yeah. was ever, ever going to win. One picture to rule them all. Indeed. I feel like that's the way to end. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.